Morning, church. My name is Diane. Becoming Meek, a poem by Lois Saylor. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The trees in meekness rule the lands. Strong trunk, deep root, tallest and hardest. Holding birds in the leaves of branches, standing as a ladder for squirrels, for mountain cats, a perch for the hawk in hunting, a feeding ground for the woodpecker, a camouflage for walking deer. These are ones who grow. They grow into weakness like saplings into old trees. These are the ones inheriting the earth. Good morning, church, and happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Um, in our house growing up, Mother's Day meant badly cooked breakfast. And um, <laughs> so it's funny because today is like now you can just download MP3s, but back in my day, you had to wait till your son, your, your, your song played on the radio, and then you had to get like the free recording devices uh, called cassettes for the younger generation. Um, and they went into this thing called a tape recorder, and then you recorded. Um, but, so, my, my brother Joe and I, who I grew up with, we would always, it was like a competition, who could win, right? We didn't say it's who loved mom the most, but, you know, um, it's whoever won, you know? And we'd always try to record Hero by Mariah Carey. Uh, but I think she threw away the tape every year, because every year we had to get a new one. Um, so that's what we did. We had badly breakfast, and we'd play it on loop, Mariah Carey, Hero. And then we got a little bit more cultured, and we moved on to Dear Mama by Tupac. Um, <laughs> So happy Mother's Day. Um, happy Mother's Day to the mothers who birthed us, to the mothers who nursed us, to the mothers who loved us. Happy Mother's Day to the mothers who taught us, who mentored us, who raised us, for the mothers who taught us about who Jesus is. But happy Mother's Day to also the mothers who dream. Um, mother's Day is also a hard time of year for many, um, for many different reasons. Just know that God is with you, God loves you, and he loves your heart. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, we thank you so much for the gift of being mothers to the world, how you call all of us to look like you, a God who nurses, a God who loves, a God who gives his best for the world. Um, God, we pray for a special blessing um, just upon this service. We thank you so much for your love for us, and we thank you so much for this chance to be able to learn about you and learn what it means to be meek, what it means to serve you. In your holy and precious name, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We've been going through the Beatitudes and the sermon. We've said it's blessings, promises of the kingdom, blessings you get because in every Beatitude there's a blessing that goes forward. But more than that, the blessing that Jesus is going forward is these are promises that he wants people to have if you belong to him. Um, the Beatitudes are best understood not as separate virtues to be able to build upon or to, to work on one for two weeks and then try the next one for two weeks. Um, it's a composite picture. Um, just like most of us uh, will not take one bite and think we've had a whole meal or read one page and think we've read the whole book or watch 30 seconds and think we know the whole movie. Um, the Beatitudes are best understood as a composite picture. But more than that, these are promises that Jesus makes to his followers. Um, Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is genius. But Jesus is also just teaching what the Father taught and promising what the Father promised. So the Beatitudes are not necessarily new in that sense as much as it's Jesus reminding people what God has always promised them in the Old Testament. Lastly, the Beatitudes are a teaching, which means that we have to learn something. 
Um, it's a call, which means we have to answer. And it's not necessarily salvation, for salvation is Jesus Christ, the one who came, the one who lived, the one who died, right? Salvation is through Jesus Christ. But what these Beatitudes call us is a way to life and a way to live. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 5. I'll be reading the first 12 verses. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This morning we're going to talk about blessed are the meek. One of the things that's important to understand about this word meek is that there's something um, phenomenal that happens in language that we don't always track. So what happens in language is that over time, words evolve in their meaning. This happens all the time. Uh, a couple months ago, I was having lunch with someone, and I said something about, you know, yeah, that's a very, very unique way of doing that, you know? And the person was, like, stumped, and they're just like, well, there's more than one way to do that. But I was like, yeah, but it's unusual. And the person's like, that's not what unique meant. And I wish I knew this at the time, because I would have been like, well, Ann Curran, who has a PhD in linguistics, says, I'm right and you're wrong. I didn't know that at the time, so it's okay. They'll hear it on this message, I'm sure, right? But Ann Curzon has a PhD in linguistics, and one of the things she points out is that words change over time. So for some of you, you grew up with unique meaning one of a kind, right? And you think that's what unique means. Well, for my generation, we've changed the word, you know? For us, it's not just that, but it's also very unusual. could be unique. Um, some of them, when words change over time, it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. So, for example, you know, there's a lot of you who, after this sermon, will be like, that's an awful sermon, right? Now, in our culture, that means terrible, bad, not good. But there was a time where awful meant what? Full of awe, right? So you see how that's changed over time. Now, when you say it's an awful sermon, I'm like, what are you talking about? Which way are we going? But here's another one. It's a little bit trickier. Nice. Nice is a word. It's a nice compliment. Like, that was a nice sermon, right? Well, which meaning do you mean? Because nice originally meant silly, foolish, simple. That's a nice dress you got on. <laughs> Speaking of silliness, right? Silly is another one that's changed over time. Now when we say silly, we mean foolish, right? Silly originally meant worthy, blessed, and then it transformed to weak and vulnerable, and then we got to foolish, so why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you all this because meek has evolved since the time of Jesus. Just like our words have evolved in the last two, 300 years, meek has evolved in the last 2,000 years. And so part of it is when we understand meek today, we understand it as gentle. We understand it as something that is someone who's easily imposed upon, someone who's submissive, someone who's weak, someone who's a doormat. Um, someone who's easily stepped on and taken advantage of. So when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, we're like, are you sure? Like, are you sure? Like, like, this doesn't really sound like fun. I mean, this Christian life, you tell me, is an adventure. It's supposed to be fun. But, but I don't really want to be stepped on. But is that what Jesus is saying? Sometimes we also interpret meek as timidity um, or a fearfulness of what other people would think. 
And a lot of us are paralyzed by that. A lot of us live lives that we're so worried about what everyone else thinks about us that it, it paralyzes us. And we're not just timid, but we're, we're, we're paralyzed to doing what God wants us to be doing and shining the way God wants us to shine and bringing joy into this world because we're paralyzed about what they think of us. Which Timothy says to us, but the spirit God gives you does not make you timid. It gives you power. It gives you love. It gives you self-discipline. So that's how we understand meek today. In our world then, when Jesus says blessed are the meek, and we look at meek people as the doormat, and you have a world where we, we value strength. We value power. We, we value assertiveness, right? And I find this one the most interesting because someone can say something and you know it's wrong, but they'll say it so positively that you're just like, well, I guess I have to reconsider. You know, we value assertiveness so much in this world that someone can be lying to your face and you'll be like, well, I mean, yeah, but he said it so strongly. Meekness, then, is supposed to be this opposite of this world and all these world values, but we get kind of tripped up because we understand meekness as weakness. We understand meekness as being a doormat. We understand meekness as, as not mattering enough. But is that what Jesus means? And is that what Jesus calls us to be? So just like we said that the Beatitudes as a whole is this composite picture, and you need the whole picture, meekness in Jesus' time was also a composite picture. In our culture, we might call it an umbrella word. And all that means is that they had a lot of different meanings or semblances that went into this word. So it's a four-letter word. It's a small word, but it had a lot of meaning. So what are some of these meekness? What are some of these meanings Jesus we've been talking about? Well, first of all, in that ancient Near Eastern culture, in the Greek influence, um, Aristotle, maybe you've heard of him, um, he was very, very smart. And one of the things Aristotle said is when he thought about virtue, he thought about virtue as not being on one extreme or the other, but being in the happy medium. So for him, for example, you know, if you squandered everything, you'd be on one side, right? But if you were stingy, you'd be on the other side. Neither of those are virtues. What's the virtue? Happy medium, being generous person. And we see this in scripture, right? Um, there's a story that you grew up thinking it was called the, the prodigal son. Um, then you start coming to H-Break and you find out that both sons are lost, right? It's not the prodigal sons, it's, it's the prodigal sons, right? Now, a lot of us know that story. We know about the squanderer. We know about the one who's off with wild living. And, and some of us who don't even live that wildly, we want to be that one because it's like, well, the father loved him and he comes back and, and that's my story, right? And, and, and so that's one extreme. But then don't forget the other son. And I would venture to say for a lot of us who grew up in the church, we're a lot closer to the stingy son than the squandering son. And what I mean by that is that we've stayed home, but we haven't walked in the love of our father. We, we've said to God, I, I tried my best. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I keep my head down. I'm trying to live for you. And then it seems like everybody else gets your love or you care more about them. What about me who've been faithful to you? The stingy son is also the other side of the extreme. What is the virtue? It's the father who's in the middle, the father who's generous, the father who says to the son, come home, and the father who says to the other son, you've always been home. You've always had my love. So when we think about virtue and meekness to the Greeks and to the people of Jesus' day, even the Jews of that day, it was a virtue, and it was represented by this happy medium. Not on an extreme, not on an extreme. It's a happy medium. 
So what did this happy medium look like? Well, one of the things we've been saying about the Beatitudes is that they do two things. One, they force us to come before God. And then when we come before God, they open our eyes. And it shows us how much we need God. So when Jesus said, blessed are the meek, he had several meanings that he was aiming at. The first one is this one. And this is why we need God, right? When Jesus says meekness, this is the first way he wanted you to understand it. For you to always be angry at the right time, at the right thing. Think about that for a second. That was meekness. This is why you need God. It's okay. Breathe. This is why you need the Holy Spirit that lives within you. This is why you need the community around you. Meekness wasn't weakness. Meekness was only being angry at the right time. There's a lot of us who are going to stub our toe walking out here, and we might think some things. We might even say a few things, right? And we'll get very, very angry at that. But Jesus says, no. If you want to look like me, you have to be meek. If you want to be meek, you can only be angry at the right thing at the right time. So it's not even about what makes you naturally angry. It's not even about what you're struggling with. It's what makes God angry. So this idea of meekness is, and this is how it's a composite picture, because you'll see all these beatitudes flowing into each other. When we talked about mourning last week, we said what? Let your heart break for the things that break God's heart. Meekness adds on to that and says, oh, don't let your heart break. Don't just let your heart break for the things that break God's heart. If it makes God angry, you should be angry because of that. And what is God angry about? Suffering. Racism. Treating people like less than. Putting yourself above others, not living like Jesus, leaving good left undone. What is God angry about? That's what it means to be meek. So it's not weakness. It's depending on God because you can only now, if you want to look like Jesus, you can only now be angry at the right time, at the right thing. That's what he's getting at by meekness. So how do we do all that? I know some of you sitting here is just like, well, that seems impossible. Breathe. It's okay. You have the Holy Spirit that lives in you. You have the community that's around you. And not only do you need God, and that's okay, you need one another, and that's okay too. This idea of meekness comes from the Greek word praus. Praus also had this, this, this semblance or this understanding of something that's domesticated, something that's trained. So less dog, right? And some of you are like, yeah, my dog's not domesticated. It's been years. I get you. It's more about training like an athlete. You know, and most athletes, right, especially the ones who train and, and prepare, like when the time to shine comes, they go back to their training. One of the things I love watching is the NBA playoffs right now is, is watching some of these guys shoot and how it's his muscle memory. I remember being a kid and Michael Jordan one time shot a free throw with his eyes closed. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. I had a friend who was a little bit smarter than me. I was just like, it's just muscle memory. It's not a big deal. I was like, really? Like, really? Thanks. You know? But the idea of meekness was being trained. And it was being domesticated. But it was this idea of how do I be angry at the things that God's angry at and only angry at the right time? I have to be trained. I have to be trained by God. So not only does the Holy Spirit live inside of you, the Holy Spirit is not sleeping inside of you, but you're also not working to keep it quiet inside of you. That the Holy Spirit is transforming you. That the Holy Spirit is fighting down this flesh. That Jesus Christ is living in you and pouring out of you. That every day you're waking up and say, God, I want to look more and more like you today. Even if it's just a baby step, let me come further today than I was yesterday. The Holy Spirit lives in us. 
But is the Holy Spirit alive in us? Are you being trained? Are you being domesticated in a way? Are you being submitting to God every single day? Meekness was this idea of being trained. Because here's the thing. When you're trained by God, you will be fearless. In a world that has timidity, or in, in ourselves that has fear about what to do and where to go, God says, if you let me train you, oh, the places you shall go. God wants you to be fearless. It's a little bit different than our understanding of meek. So we have to be always angry at the right time and the right thing. God help us. We have to be trained by God and the Holy Spirit that lives within us. God help us. But this idea of meekness also then has this undercarriage, this other understanding Every instinct, every impulse, every passion is under control by God. See why we need God? Every impulse, every control, every action, every reaction under control by God. This is what it means to be trained. This is what it means to grow. This is what it means to go out and cry out to God. This is what it means to need God. Because he doesn't just want you, he wants all of you. And it's not just about making your thoughts captive. It's making your thoughts surrender to God, making your actions surrender to God, making your life surrender to God. Every instinct, every impulse, every action should look like Jesus. How do you get there? You surrender. You surrender because it's not just about being controlled and domesticated. It's about being God-controlled. Every instinct, every impulse, every passion in a world that maybe elevates those things above everything else and, and puts self behind it, Jesus wants you to submit those things to him and puts him behind it. It's not about your self-control. It's about God living in you. It's not about what impulse you have. It's about submitting those impulses and submitting those passions to a God who not only loves you but knows best. Are you willing to surrender, not just your lives, but say, God, I want every impulse to bring glory to you. I want every passion I have to bring glory to you. I want everything I do to bring glory to you. Because here's the thing, sisters and brothers, when we take away our impulses and our actions and our reactions, and we take it away from God, and then we become God. If we take those things and don't submit them to God, then we get to a point where we think we care more about justice than God does. We care more about people than God does. We have more passion. God, where are you? Do not deforce your thoughts, your actions, your reactions, your impulses. Do not deforce them from God. Give them to God. Talk to God about it. Ask him to help you. Ask him to not just control you, but to transform you. So meekness is always being angry at the right time, at the right thing. It's always being trained by God. It's surrendering to God. And of course, it's a common understanding of meekness that's contrasted with pride. And what a word to us this morning. In our culture, that seems to, to elevate the prideful. Meekness is saying, I want to come under God. But this humility that God wants, this humility that God talks about in meekness is humility not just to throw yourself under the bus. There's so many of us as Christians who think being humble is not being counted, who think being humble is, is, is just going with the flow and let, I'm just going to do here and toil in vain. God didn't create you to toil in vain because he sees your toil and he will bless your toil. God is not creating you to just keep your head down and, 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 and not be a bother, right? 
Humility is not not being a bother. Humility is not, you know, just keeping your head down. You know what humility, true humility is? It's to know your own weakness. It's to know your own ignorance. It's to know where you fall short. That's true humility. And the kind of meekness Jesus is calling you to is to be willing to go before him and say, God, here's where I fell short. And it's not just for all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God, but it's God, here's where I keep falling short. It's God, here's where I need you. It's God, here's where I need you to forgive me and cleanse me. But if we don't just have the spirit within us, we got the community around us. It's building relationships and friendships where you can go to someone who loves you and say, here's where I fell short. Here's where I'm struggling. Here's where I need you. And that's the joy of this thing called Christianity. We're not meant to do this alone. It's a lie this world keeps telling you that you're meant to do it on your own, that you're meant to be alone. That only helps Satan. It doesn't help the kingdom. That only helps Satan. It doesn't help you. You're not meant to do anything on your own. You have the spirit of God living inside of you. He wants to work with you to transform you, but you also have sisters and brothers. And here's the thing about this Christian faith. If you've been following Jesus long enough, you will come to a place where you pray and you feel like you're talking to a wall and you're hoping God is hearing you, but you're not sure. That's why you need your sisters and brothers around you. Because if someone loves you and you say, here's where I fell short, they will say, come home. If you say, here's what I need God to help me with, they will say, I will pray for you. They might sit with you in your dark room, but praise God, they also might grab your hand and help you walk out that dark room. We need each other, and that's okay. Meekness is knowing, not just keeping your head down, but it's knowing where you fall short, voicing where you fall short, not only to God, but the people around you. Because here's the thing, none of us can truly be loved if we're not willing to truly be vulnerable, if we're not willing to truly be honest. If you want God to forgive you, don't just say, God, forgive me. Forgive me of what? Be honest with the Lord. Be honest before God, and it's not because he already knows it, but it's because he will then start working in you. And be honest with your sisters and brothers. Build community, build friendships, have people around you that you can be vulnerable with. Because there's going to come a time in this life where the love of God comes from their touch, where the love of God comes from their word, where the love of God comes from their prayers for you. So build relationships around you that allows you to be meek, and that means humility. I almost said humility, but I don't think that's a word. It allows you to have humility, but build relationships with people around you allows you to have humility to know your own weakness, to know your own need. Because here's the thing. In this life, you'll have trouble. But praise God, he's overcome the world. Praise God he's given you your peace. Praise God he's blessed you with sisters and brothers. Praise God he's blessed you with the Holy Spirit. Because as long as you're on this side of heaven, this life will humble you. And you might be in a place this morning where life is good. Praise God life is good. Because tomorrow might come. And tomorrow might not be as good. Tomorrow might be a little bit more difficult, a little bit more challenging. Tomorrow might humble you to the point where you say, God, I need help. But just like all these beatitudes have to do with each other, we need to be a people that when life humbles us, we need to say, 
Some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Remember, the foundational principle of all these Beatitudes was blessed are the poor in spirit, right? This idea of pouring ourselves out, of all these things the world values, our education, our wealth, our, 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 our status, our race, even in some countries like this one. All these things the world values, we need to empty ourselves of that and let ourselves be filled with the things that God values. And when you're emptying yourself, you'll stop trusting in your education. You'll stop trusting in your socioeconomic status. You'll stop trusting in the job. You'll stop being defined and having your identity be defined by this world. Because this world will love to define you and then crush you, which is very different than your God who says, you're my child and I love you. I'll always love you. I've always loved you. You can always come home to me. This world lives to humble you, but be meek to go humbly before God and be meek to trust in God and God alone. My favorite part about meekness that I just learned about this week is also that Jesus, another semblance of meek, was be angry at the right time at the, at, the, at the right thing. Be angry at the things that make God angry. Be trained by God. Be fearless. Be having every instinct and impulse and passion under control of God. Surrender them to him. Have, it be, have your life contrasted not with pride, but with humility. Humility to know your own weakness. Humility to know where you fall short. Humility to cry out to God. Humility to cry out to your sister. Humility to say, God, I need you. Humility to say, brother, I need you. Humility to say, I will trust in the name of the Lord our God, no matter how much this life tries to humble me. But the most beautiful thing I've just learned about meekness was that Jesus also called his people to be meek in the sense that he wanted them to be nonviolent peacemakers. Now, before, a couple years after Jesus, they would identify a certain sect of some of his followers and Jewish people as zealots. And zealots were people who, who trusted in military might to overcome the empire. And the reason I think this is beautiful is because a lot of us, you know, as brethren in Christ, we love our call to be peacemakers. And a lot of people look at peacemakers and they're just like, I don't know what that means, you know? Like, I just feels like that's meekness. And, and in a way, with our false understanding of what Jesus meant by being meek, they fit together. Because we think peacemakers are just quiet, the subservient, they'll just go with the flow they'll get trampled down upon well any of us who've been blessed to be raised in a house with more than one of us who blessed would have something called siblings we know that being peacemaker is not necessarily something you sit down and do right it's not something you can passively do to actually make peace the work of making peace is exactly that it's work in this world that elevates violence, Jesus says, I want you to speak peace. I want you to work for peace. More than that, I want you to bring peace into this world. In this world that's going to elevate political power, military power. In this country where we'll say, we got to topple the Republicans. We got to topple the Democrats. Jesus wants us to be reminded that every empire falls except the kingdom of God. Jesus wants us to always be asking us, do I want to pledge my allegiance to a flag or to the cross of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ himself? Jesus wants you to say, I will work to bring peace into my world. And the kind of peace he's talking about is what our Jewish brothers call shalom. And that shalom he's talking about is peace with God, but it's also peace with your sister, peace with your brother, peace with all of creation. We have to have a commitment to bringing peace into the world. And if you have that commitment to bringing peace into the world, you can't do it passively. 
You can't do it aggressively either. And since we're in central Pennsylvania, might as well put them together. You can't do it passive aggressively either. (laughs) When God calls you to bring peace to the world, you have to be willing to shine your light into every darkness. You have to be willing to get on your knees and pray. You have to be willing to do the work of making peace. Making peace is not just saying the world is not as it should be. Making peace is saying, God, how can we do something together? What I love about the Beatitudes is that there's certainly a composite picture, but it's also building blocks. And so far, Jesus has taken us on this journey where first he said, be poor in spirit. If you're going to follow me, I need you to do it now and every day of your life. Empty yourself. Because as long as you're in this world, it will fill you with its ideas. It will fill you with its thinking. It will fill you with its values. And sometimes those are good, but sometimes they're going to conflict with me. So every single day, if you're going to follow me, say, God, I want you to empty me of the things that don't matter and fill me with the things that do. Being poor in spirit, it says emptying yourself consistently. And Jesus says the reward of that is that heaven belongs to you. So you start with this emptying. And part of the emptying comes with mourning. And the mourning isn't just losing relationships. The mourning that comes is losing your ways of thinking, losing the things that you've been taught to value, good things that just not maybe God's things, things that maybe you thought was worth holding on to that conflict with who Jesus is. They might be good to you before, but it's not the best of what God wants. So Jesus says, empty yourself of those things, and it'll come with mourning. It will come with sorrow. It will come with loss. And as you're going through all this, you'll start to look like me and think like me. And these things that break my heart, they will start to break your heart too. But praise God that your comfort, my comfort, Jesus says, is with you. That not only does heaven belong to you, but comfort is here in the power of the Spirit and Jesus who's here for you. So we need to empty ourselves to be filled by God. And we need to mourn and let our hearts break for the things that break God's heart. And then when we get to meekness, now we're ready to fully surrender to God. That's what it means to be meek. Are you willing to be fully surrendered to God? Because here's the thing, if you're fully surrendered to God, when you hear blessed are the meek, you will hear be always angry at the right time and the right thing. When you hear blessed are the meek, you will hear that I'm going to be God-controlled. You know, one of the things that conflicts our understanding of meekness is people in the Bible who are described as meek. There's two of them for sure. Then there's one who I think they should have described as meek, so we'll talk about her, the third. The first one is Moses. Remember Moses? Moses not only led his people, or God used Moses to lead people out of slavery, but Moses tried every excuse in the book, right? He was just like, listen, I can't speak. And God's like, it's cool, I got you. We'll send Miriam and Aaron. You know, it's just like, but, you know, I came from this family. Like, what am I going to do? And God says, it's okay, I'm with you. I will always be with you. And Moses goes from this, 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 this mild and trying to keep his head down to leading people out of slavery because he believed in God, because he was meek. Because he believed and trusted God, because he became fully surrendered to God, because he didn't think about his pride and his titles, but he thought about the people God sent him to save. He thought about not not what he had, but where he lacked and gave it to God. And he did it nonviolently, didn't he? Moses was meek. You know, the other person scripture describes as meek. And this is interesting because we still want to think of meek as weakness. It's our Lord Jesus Christ. 
is the one who spoke the world into creation, yet stood before his creation and submitted his life. He stood before an empire that he knew would fall and let them crucify him. Jesus Christ, being lied upon, being tortured, suffering, was meek because he fully surrendered to God for God's will. You know my favorite picture of meekness? It's a lady by the name of Esther. What I love about Esther is simply this. She was from a culture that didn't value women. She was from a culture that didn't listen to women. She was from a culture that didn't even think women were, were equal. We're good now because we're progressive, right? We've learned so much. That's sarcasm. I've got my sarcasm, uh, my sarcasm font on my paper. But Esther comes from this culture that doesn't value women, much like ours, doesn't think women have a voice, much like ours, and doesn't think she matters, just like ours. She's also a Jew, which means she's an immigrant, a refugee, an outsider. And just like our culture, we don't necessarily value immigrants, refugees, outsiders, like we should like Jesus does. So she's a woman, she's an immigrant. And here's the one that always sticks with me. And I think part of the reason it sticks with me is it's, it's kind of personal. My grandpa was a polygamous Muslim chief. So I, I remember growing up with my grandmama knowing what it's like to be a number to your husband. And Esther comes and she's one of the wives. Think about that for a second. To the person she loves and gives her life to, she's just one of the number. So she's a woman that's not valued. She's an immigrant that's not valued. She's not even valued by her own husband. Yet because she fully surrendered to God. Yet because she was bold. Yet because she was willing to say, God, I want to do what you've called me to do. Yet because she was willing to say, God, I want to be angry at the things that make you angry. Yet because she was willing to know where she lacked and how much she needed God. Because she was willing to be a peacemaker for her people. She goes in meekness, but it's boldness before the throne. And God uses her to save his people. She's a woman who's not valued. She's an immigrant who's not valued. She's a wife who's not valued. And God still used her to do great things. To me, that's a picture of meekness we can hold on to. Because every one of us in this room have something that this world tells us we're not valuable because we are or we have. And God says, bring it to me. I can use you to do great things. That's what it means to be meek. So whether you're Moses leading the liberation or Jesus dying for salvation or Esther who looks at a society that doesn't see value but cries out to her God who she knows values her and uses her to do a great many things for her people. Jesus blesses the meek by saying, be angry at the things I'm angry at. Be surrendered and God-controlled. Be always knowing that you need God. Look like God and learn from the Spirit. And then you get this thing called inheritance. One of the things that's fascinating about inheritance is that we inherit many things, right? We inherit genes. You know, some of us, for better or for worse, look like our parents. And we could do counseling later. You could deal with that, you know? And you're like, well, I don't look like him now. Don't worry, it'll come. Either you look like him as a baby or you end up like him. It's just what happens. But we inherit genes which means that we look like our parents. So when we say look like Jesus, we're asking Jesus to inherit those genes. But more than looking like our parents, more than the physical genes, you know what else we inherit from our parents? Their disposition, their values, the things they say are important. 
Now, it might seem in our early years that we're not really holding on to it. Remember what we said a couple weeks ago? There's more caught than taught, right? What you inherit from your parents are those things. You inherit not just your gene, genetic composition, but you inherit their disposition, and that's your fortune. In this world, the fortune might be the house you get or whatever's in the bank account, but your true, por- your true fortune is going to be what you inherit from your parents, what values you get from them. And Jesus wants you to inherit his values. He wants you to look like him. Christians are supposed to look like Jesus, act like Jesus, and live all of their lives to Jesus. And Jesus says, these are the ones who will inherit the earth. You know, first service, my sister Melinda was here. And I remember, you know, Shell and I will be married this June for 10 years. I remember at, um, at our wedding, Melinda got on the microphone, God bless her heart. Not that. I told her I don't hold it against her. I'll just always tell the story. Um, she got on her house and she goes, you know how I knew Shell really loved Hank? You know, everyone's like waiting with bated breath. She goes, it's because Hank is poor. Like, Hank's got nothing. <laughs> Hank doesn't even know what he wants to do in the future. And she still loves him, you know? And I remember sitting there, I was like, yeah, she's right. That's, that's true. <laughs> you know, like, can't really argue with that, right? But, you know, I'm Liberian. No, we can only be down for so long, you know? So I, I regroup and I get back to the microphone. I was just like, yeah, I might be poor, but my father owns a cat on a thousand hills. My father spoke the world into existence. I'm all right. But I'm telling you that story because she said it jokingly. But I think there's so many of us in this room who keep letting the world define our value and define who we are. There's so many of us in this room who keep letting everyone say we're not good enough. We're not strong enough. We're not pretty enough. We're not rich enough. We're not educated enough. There's so many of us who are now paralyzed because we're going by how this world gives us value. But I'm here to tell you this morning, it might just be one of you, but I'm here to tell you this morning, you're so valuable to God. You're so valuable that he sent his son for you. You're so valuable that he sends his spirit to live inside of you. You're so valued that you're in this room with a community that's going to love you and keep loving you. Do not let this world define your value. Do not let this world define your worthiness while you forget the God who died for you, the God who lives for you, and the God who lives inside of you. It's not about what the world says you have or don't have. It's only always about who God is and who he says you are. The people in Jesus' day always dreamed of the promised land. In the Old Testament, they always dreamed of the promised land. But in this blessing of those of us who are going to answer Jesus' call to be meek, he says you get the land, but you get the whole earth which is an amazing thing for us because some of us grew up in churches where the earth is going to burn anyway, so who cares about it? We grew up in places where it's like, why care about sustainability? And I'm glad we're finally having these conversations because to be honest, the reason some of these um, weather patterns are happening is because of our doing. And I think for most of us, the reason we don't care if we want to be a little bit honest, and I'm going to get edgy, so put on your seatbelt, it's because it's mostly happened to black and brown people. And that's something we need to check. This world is meant to be redeemed. This world will be redeemed. And you serve a God who doesn't want to burn the world in hell, but wants to redeem it. You serve a God who doesn't look at anyone based on their situation and gives up on them. He wants to redeem them. You serve a God who looks at every situation and says, that's all you got? I've worked through that before, and I'll work through it again. Our God is a redemptive God, amen? So what are some of the lessons we're supposed to hold on to about this blessed are the meek? 
Well, I think the best way we can hold on to this blessed of the meek is simply to pray. So you can write these down as prayer requests or how you're going to pray this week. Or maybe there's one that's just going to jump out at you and you can make it a breath prayer. All that means is that when you need it, just say it. I think these are prayers we need to be praying. The first one is Jesus, help us to be angry at the right things. I'm not saying to not be angry. Scripture just says, you know, don't sin. But I'm saying that part of being meek is submitting to God. And it's not just about what makes you angry, but getting to a place where the things that anger God anger you. So Jesus, help us to be angry at the right things. Or maybe this one will help. Jesus, help us to submit every instinct, every impulse, every passion to you. That's a hard one. Because we want excuses, right? Because it's just like, well, I just did that by instinct, you know? Or, or my favorite is, you know, I, I use this a lot. That's why I'm, I have a PhD in this one. When I, growing up, not anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm better now. But, you know, like some people, like I used to be, right? Some people be like, well, I'm not perfect, you know? And they use that as an excuse to do whatever they want anyway, right? That's not what God calls you to do. In fact, he says, be perfect as your father's perfect. So, so chew on that one. But what you need to do, though, is get to a point where you said, Jesus, help me to submit every instinct, every impulse, every passion to you. Help me, Lord. There's also some of us who this might be helpful. Say, Spirit, help us, help me to call to memory the work that you've done. Now, I always tell people it's good to take journals. It's good to write down how God's working, how God's moving. But you know what? Sometimes life happens. Sometimes you're in a situation where, where you may not have access to your journal. You can't whip out your phone in the middle of this conversation and be like, oh, God does love me. But you can pray. You can pray for the Spirit to come to you. You can pray for the Spirit to reveal to you. Be like, God, this is how you helped me three years ago, and you can help me now. Spirit, help me to remember how you've saved me before. Help me to remember the work that you've done. Or maybe you can try this one. Spirit, help us, help me to make peace here, to bring shalom here. Help me to not only know that you're with me, but know that you're with our world. Help me to know that there's no sacred, there's no secular. I don't get to be a Christian half the time and go to work and not a Christian anymore. I'm always a Christian. In this entire world, you're always there. So help me, God, to bring peace where I am. To bring peace between me and you, but peace between me and my sister, between my sister and my brother. Peace with the creation. Spirit, help me to bring peace here. But I think the last two are probably the hardest. I think they're the hardest because they actually require work, hard work. Not just praying, not just believing, but doing something. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks a lot about something called cheap grace. Thing about cheap grace is a lot of us as Christians have PhDs, and I don't know why I keep saying PhD this morning, but maybe I need to go to school or something. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this thing called cheap grace, and most of us have majored in cheap grace. You know what cheap grace is? Cheap grace is grace without repentance. It's grace without change or transformation. It's grace without cost, and it's grace that believes but doesn't follow Jesus. God, help us to reject cheap grace. 
Because it's not enough to say, God, forgive me, if you're not willing to turn the car around. It's not enough to say, God, forgive me, I've messed up, if you're going to go on and keep on sinning. Yes, grace abounds more than sin, but if you're going to follow God, stop taking steps in the wrong direction. It's not enough to say, God, forgive me, and then you keep doing it over and over again. That's cheap grace, and God's not interested in that. God's not interested in you saying, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, and there's nothing which brings us to that second point. Grace is transformation. We would love to say, come as you are. God loves you as you are. But here's the thing about our God. He thinks he can do better for you. He thinks he can transform you. He thinks he can make you the best version of yourself. So it's not just come as you are, you're loved. It's come as you are and let me transform you. Cheap grace says, come as you are. God says, come as you are because I love you, but never leave this place unchanged. Never leave with an unwillingness to submit to me because I know what's best for you. Come as you are, yes, but let the spirit of God that lives in you transform you. Let the love of the community around you transform you. Let God who's in this world working and moving transform you. Come as you are, but never leave unchanged by God himself. And that brings us to grace that comes with a cost. If you're going to stop taking steps in the wrong direction, it's going to be a cost. If you're going to say, God, change me, transform me, whether it's my mind or how I'm living or how I'm acting, it's going to come with a cost. And true grace that Jesus gives you comes with a cost. But the joy of that grace is it comes to you when you choose to follow Jesus. And it's not just about calling out for his grace. It's not just about believing his grace. It's actually walking in his grace and following him. And that brings us to our last part. God calls all of us to participate in his grace. And that's why you can't just do cheap grace. God thinks there's a part for you to play as well. So it's not enough for you to say, Lord, forgive me. Or spirit, break these chains if you're not willing to run from that darkness, if you're not willing to run from that sin, if you're not willing to fight and to conquer that sin. If you're just going to yell out, spirit, break the chains, but then the next day you're putting the chains on yourself, what are you doing? If you're just going to say, God, forgive me, and then you're going to keep doing it over and over again, what are you doing? It's not enough to say, Lord, forgive me, spirit, break the chains, if you're not willing to fight and run from those chains. It's not enough to say, Lord, I come to you, spirit, transform me, and you're not willing to change. You're not willing to be transformed of how you think, of how you live. You're not willing to be transformed so that Christ himself can shine in you. It's not enough to say, Lord, here I am, if you're not willing to listen to him if you're not willing to hear him, if you're not willing to be changed by him. It's not enough to say, Lord, I give you some of me. Spirit, help me with this. God's not interested in some of you. God wants all of you. God's not just interested in this one thing you're struggling with. He's interested in everything. Spirit, I give you all of me. God, I give you all of me, not just my struggles, not just my celebrations, but everything. And it's not enough to just say, Lord, I believe you. I'm going to try and follow you. We are called followers of Jesus Christ. That means we follow Jesus. And that's the end of our English lesson.
You cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ if you're not following Jesus. You cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ because you said the right prayer, but you don't know what Jesus calls and asks you to do in your life. You cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ if you have not been transformed by Jesus Christ. Say, Lord, forgive me. Ask the Spirit to break the chains, but participate in the grace by running from those sins. Say, Lord, I come. Spirit, transform me, but ask Jesus to shine as you're transformed into his image. Say, Lord, I give you all of me. Spirit, I give you all of my life. Lord, help me every day. But say also, Lord, I follow you. Lord, I listen to you. Lord, I hear you. Lord, I submit to you. I'd like to invite up our, our worship team. We're going to end by singing um, one of my favorite songs, Be Thou My Vision. So sing this song. We talk about God being our vision, God being our wisdom, God being our inheritance. But as we sing this song, may we be reminded that our God calls us to be meek. But this meekness is not weakness, it's boldness. So our prayer this morning is that God helps us to be angry at the things that he's angry at. God trains us so that we can be fearless. God, submit all of our lives to you. God, help us to know our weakness and our ignorance. God, help us when we're humbled by this life to call out to the name of the Lord. God, help us to speak peace. I'd like to also invite up any pastors in the room who want to pray and any intercessors. We'd love to pray for you for anything you've got going on. My prayer for you simply as we sing this song, answer God's call to be meek, but answer it in strength and not weakness. Answer it in surrender and not assurance. Answer it by giving your life to him, all of you. Amen. Let's sing together. Please come up for prayer.